0: praise you you alone are holy and awesome and worthy of all praise we come before you in jesus name through his blood let the heavens be really open let your glory be here holy spirit that you would just come and take over and empower this time and glorify jesus christ and lord jesus that you would be in our midst in an awesome way and father let your eyes of favor be upon us and let this be a powerful time in the word i pray that you would speak through me everything that needs to be spoken and father by the precious holy spirit Let your Holy Spirit move and begin to really captivate all of us and help us to get locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, and that we're going to get everything out of this time that we need to. And Lord, help us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, and that you would speak through me your words of life as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes and lord let this be a powerful time in the word and that it will go out like a light shining and dispelling all the darkness of the enemy let it be the washing of the water of the word or let it be like a hammer that's going to break through every stronghold a sword that's going to penetrate and everything will be accomplished in and through this let the winds of your spirit carried out among the nations And we know that the Bible says the enemy, the birds of the air, try to steal the sea. The enemy tries to steal. But, Lord, we declare tonight that anything of the enemy's kingdom that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it needs to go and accomplishing what it needs to do, we bind it in the name of Jesus right now. You will back off and go now from the word of God now. And, Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing that out. And, Lord, that you would speak through me and let everything be accomplished And through this. that your will to be done. And Lord, that it will go out and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. All right. So as we get into this word tonight, we're dealing with um, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Um, it was interesting because what happened about this sermon was years ago, my wife and I went down to where the Cambridge revival happened. And when we were there, God really touched us. And I remember that God really touched my wife. And she told me after the fact that she felt that God spoke to her there to look to your husband for the pattern. And that was kind of an interesting way of putting it. But I knew when she said that, I knew what the Lord meant by that. Because I'm familiar with that terminology. Years ago, back in the 90s, um, the Brownsville revival was taking place it was so powerful and I remember that a man by the name of Dick Rubin who was a, a Jewish man that went there and he laid the groundwork and one of the things that he always said was he said when the pattern is right the glory will fall how many of you guys were familiar with that at all Brownsville some people well, let me just say that Brownsville is alive and well still flowing like a river today, including in River of Life. Amen. So I'm just going to kind of go back and reiterate some things that God spoke even back then. But one of the things that, that God spoke was when the pattern is right, the glory will fall. And so God used Dick Rubin to bring in some patterns. And it was, it was really powerful so i'm not going to reteach what he did this is totally different but i'm going to give you some patterns that god has given me and how many of you guys know that we need to be living in a personal revival continually you know the bible says that god when the when the tabernacle was set up aaron and moses had to go in and they had to pray when they came out the people were kind of worried because moses told them hey look the lord's going to come and there's gonna be a fire and whenever they set up the tabernacle and everything was ready the, there was no glory fire yet and so I think that the people were probably worried man did God forgive us about the golden calf incident is everything okay you know and Moses and Aaron went in to intercede for the people when they came out Aaron spoke a blessing but here's what happened the glory fire came and consumed that burnt offering area and it set that bronze altar on fire but God told the priesthood he said I will start that fire but it is your responsibility to keep the fire going you know Leonard Ravenhill used to say if the fire died in you he said it wasn't God that died oh God's an all-consuming fire If, if there's ever a time that we backslide and the fire dies it ain't God's problem it was something with us and so god began to teach me over the last i don't know 20 years or so began to show me a lot of patterns and and things i believe that we're called to live in a personal revival and to keep a personal revival alive in our lives okay so the first scripture which is a well-known scripture is second chronicles 7:14, which says this if my people it's not talking about the heathen world it says if my people everybody say that with me if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways their wicked ways he said then I will hear from heaven forgive their sin heal their lamb so here's a pattern right here that if God's people not the heathen world but if God's people if we will humble ourselves and pray number one we've got to humble ourselves But also we've got to be a people of prayer anytime there's revival somebody was praying I promise you you know that was the thing that Charles Finney and I'll probably make a lot of different references to past revivals because I want to give that historic witness in this but that's one of the things that Charles Finney believed he did not believe that revival was just a spontaneous thing that came out of nowhere He said just like you would go into a field and you would plow the field and you would plant wheat You would expect that wheat's going to grow in time And he said that's the same as revival you sow in prayer and fasting and you reap revival And so that's the pattern. So number one, we've got to humble ourselves and pray And then the Bible says to seek my face So many people get too caught up with their own personal needs. I want this. I want that. But if we press into him. And then it says turn from their wicked ways. And this is concerning because the day that we're living. There's not enough preaching on repentance. And there's a lot of people that are living in sin. The only time that people are bored with Jesus are people that don't know Jesus. If Jesus isn't enough for you, you don't know him. You're not born of God. But see, there's a lot of people out there that are bored with Jesus and bored with church. Because they don't know the Lord. When you're really born of God and you have an encounter with Jesus, he's enough for you. You don't need all the hype. You don't need all the entertainment anymore. You just want him. All right. Then God said, if you'll do those things, if you'll humble yourselves, you'll pray, you'll seek my face, and you'll turn from your wicked ways, he said, then, everybody say, then. See, everybody wants God to heal the land, but you've got to do these other things first. Okay, then he said, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal the land. So those are the three things he promised if we meet the requirements of the first part of that scripture. So now dealing with personal revivals. When we left Cambridge, God just kind of lit a fire in my wife and really touched me real powerful as well. And she said, God spoke to me to look to you to the patterns. And I'm going to give you tonight about just eight quick patterns. And the first one is Isaiah 58 you know I believe that it was um, David Wilkerson that said this I'm pretty sure it was David Wilkerson he said that God gave us a pattern for living in continual revival and it's Isaiah chapter 58 and if you really study that passage you'll see exactly what he's talking about Anybody that reads Isaiah fifty eight and you get past that first part that says, This is the fast I've chosen, you need to do this, this, and this. And you start reading all the benefits, man, you're gonna want to meet those requirements because there's so many benefits of Isaiah fifty eight. How I many of you guys have read it before? He said this, I'm just gonna give it to you real quickly. He said, if you'll meet the requirements of the fast that I have chosen for you in Isaiah 58, if you'll do what I said, he said, here's what I'll do for you. He said, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing quickly appear. He said, the glory of God will be your rear guard. He said that you'll cry out to me and I'll answer you. How many want to answer prayers? He said you'll call to me and I'll say here I am how many want God's nearness he said that there will be clear guidance of the Lord and the Lord will satisfy you even in a sun-scorched land even if there's desert all around you you're gonna be refreshed he said that he would give strength and health to your body and you'll be like a well watered garden he said that the flows of water the flows of revival will not fail I mean, as God wants us planted by rivers of living water. He said that I will use you to restore. You will build up age old foundations, be repairers of the breach, and see great restoration. Isn't that awesome? So, I mean, these are major promises here. But when God spoke to my wife about that, the first thing that I said was, well, Isaiah 58. If you look at Second Chronicles 7:14, I read, if you look at Isaiah 58 and you look at Joel chapter 2, God gives a pattern there that if we will truly repent of our sin, in Isaiah 58, he specifically says, quit being oppressive to other people. He says, quit with the pointing of the finger, quit with all the malicious gossip, all that stuff. If you'll get the sin out of your life and you'll do this, and he said, I will send revival, basically. Think about it. I'll hear from heaven, forgive your sin, heal your land. I read you Isaiah 58. What is Joel chapter 2? God said, call a solemn assembly. Bring the people together. Humble, everybody humble yourself and pray and fast. Then what was the promises? Those that will pray and fast in Joel chapter 2, God said, I will drive your enemy far from you. How many of you guys want your enemies driven away? For real. You've got loved ones that you feel are in bondage to the enemy. You've got areas of your life you know that you need a breakthrough. He said, I'll remove any judgments against you and leave a blessing instead. He says, I will send new grain, new wine, and fresh oil. He said, I will give you the former and the latter rain together. That's abundant rain. He said this i will restore the years the locusts have eaten everything that could have would have should have been will now happen he said i will release prosperity to you and he said i will pour out this is the famous scripture we all know and the latter is i will pour out my spirit on all flesh but this was the um this is what god was talking about if you'll have a solemn assembly if you'll gather the people, if you'll pray, if you'll fast together. He says, I will hear, I will drive away your enemies, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So how do we live in a personal revival? Number one is Isaiah 58 pattern. And it's these five things. If you'll live a lifestyle, and this is why I told my wife, and we've been doing this now for a while, but if you will humble yourself, We've got to walk humbly before God. If you'll live a lifestyle of prayer, if you'll live a lifestyle of fasting, if you'll live a lifestyle of giving, and if you'll live a lifestyle of deeply consecrating your life unto God, you will live in personal, continual revival the rest of your life. Did you all hear me? I'm giving you a pattern. Humble yourself, pray, fast, give, and consecrate your life. If you'll live it as a lifestyle, So I try to have a time every week where there's a day that I do at least some fasting. And seeking God, we've got to have a personal prayer life. And my wife and I began to seek the scriptures about being a giver. And I've taught on this. I don't have time to get into it, but there's seven realms of giving. But we wanted to be givers. As I read in, about Cornelius, the Bible says the angel told Cornelius, your prayers and your giving has gone up before God as a memorial offering and great revival came to Cornelius's whole family because of that so your prayers and your giving can release revival in your whole family and also consecrating your life unto God so that's pattern number one is the Isaiah 58 pattern The second pattern God gave me was the evening and the morning sacrifice, which I preached on last week. So I'm not going to get back into it, but let me just say this. That before you go to bed in the evening, if you'll have a time where you bring your life and your family under the blood and you and your spouse will pray together and bless each other, that the glory of God can begin to come in your home. And you can begin to have a life where at night it's like you're in the glory. You sleep in the glory. God can give you dreams and visions from him. And that's the evening sacrifice. Then you wake up the next morning and you have time of prayer with the Lord. So beginning your night with prayer and beginning your day with prayer the next morning. If you'll live a lifestyle of that, that's another pattern for a personal revival. And again, I preached on that last week, so I'm going to go ahead and move on from that. The third pattern is vicarious repentance. This needs to be taught. When we begin to get under the weight and the burden of the sin of our family or the sin of our region and the sin of our nation, and we begin to really confess and repent on behalf of the nation, for example, before God, Daniel did that in Daniel chapter 9. He began to pray, and Daniel was a righteous man. But as he prayed, he said, Lord, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation for the sin that we've committed before you and the sins of our ancestors. And as he confessed the sin of the nation before God, God began to really move in Israel. You remember the story that Daniel was in Babylonian captivity. So this was a time of God's judgment on this nation. But Daniel read in Jeremiah that God wanted them to be released after 70 years. So Daniel began to humble himself and pray and fast. And what did he do? Remember this. He said, Lord, forgive us as a nation for our sin." He was representing, vicariously he was repenting on behalf of the nation. And because he did that, God began to move in a series of events to raise up eventually King Cyrus and send back Ezra and Nehemiah, all of that. But you can trace it back to Daniel's vicarious repentance now there's a historic witness to this that there's more than one but I'm gonna give one with Hebrides in the island of Hebrides the the area had really gotten into sin and the people the Christians there began to really be trouble and there was two older ladies and they were really burdened for Hebrides and Also, they went to a pastor and they said, we really need to start praying. So the pastor met with about 12 men in his church and they began to pray. Hold on. (coughs) They began to pray in a barn and began to really seek God. And there was a time that there was a man that was among them in the barn. And God began to speak to him and speak to him that scripture in Psalms that said this. Who will ascend the hill of God? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And so he began to say, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And so there was an area there where they began to repent of their sin. But they were praying to God and they were confessing the sin before him representing Hebrides and they began to pray for a great revival. And God visited the Isle of Hebrides really powerfully, and I don't have time to get into that. But it was a major revival. So there's something about us getting under the burden of the sin of our nation, and representing like a like a watchman on the wall, like a great intercessor. Remember how Moses prayed for Israel once the golden calf happened. God said I tell you what I'm gonna wipe all them out let me start over with you Moses and what did Moses say Lord please don't do it and he began to confess before God you know forgive us Lord but he also began to intercede on behalf of the nation same with Abraham about Sodom there's different examples but in scripture we can humble ourselves and say on behalf of America father forgive us for the sins of this land and it's a powerful way to to uh, see revival begin to break forth because we're representing our nation before the throne of God but what is scaring me a little bit is that there's some teaching out there now that I don't think has ever been in the body of Christ from the days of Paul till now that is teaching people they don't have to repent that is false teaching I'm just telling you and people that are teaching that's false that's false teachers And I'm telling you to be careful with that because that is not the word of God. Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will perish. That's what Jesus said. So there's something really powerful when we begin to get under the burden of the sin of our nation, our region, whatever, and we confess it before God, that God will hear us and begin to move in our region, our nation. All right, the next pattern is corporate unified prayer. The, you remember when Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, he says there's times you're going to have church problems and deal with them. And he talked about going to somebody in private, taking, taking witnesses and all of that. <coughs> After he got beyond that, he started talking about how what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And then he said where to agree on earth is touching anything, I'll do it. So the Lord knew that there was going to be problems in churches and he gave how to deal with it But then he said basically look There's going to be a lot of times the reason for these problems is warfare If you will bind it, it will clear up what you bind will be bound see what I'm saying And then he also said Where two or three gather in my name, I'm in the midst of them And so when we're drawn together and the word there for gather is being drawn together by the Spirit in the Greek we're drawn together see it's not just a group of people let me put it this way that you advertised and you just did basic business marketing and you hyped it up and you got a bunch of people come together there's a difference between that and when the Holy Spirit has drawn people together okay so there's this drawing together And then he said this, he talked about how the prayers together, it's like a harmony. As you pray together, as you unify. And I did a Greek study on that, and and the word there is symphona, where we get symphony from. And it has to do with us praying together in true unity. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They were in one accord. So this, I'm summing it all up to say this. When God draws a group of people together. And they're really unified in their prayers. Then there's going to be powerful things happen. But it's required that God draw the people together. That it's not just a a gathering that's initiated by man. And that everybody is really harmonizing and unified. Because sometimes what you'll have is. You'll have some people that are unified, but then you have others that are either just spectators or they don't want to be there or maybe they're troublemakers, but it can hinder what God's wanting to do. All right, that's the next pattern is unified prayer. God draws us and then we're all in one accord. We're harmonizing together. The next pattern that God gave me was a personal, the personal tabernacle we're going to have to live a life of prayer if you want to be a people that's going to have great revival in your personal life the only way that's going to happen is if you individually become a person of prayer every man or woman of God that saw great things historically was a person of prayer so God began to show me in the tabernacle that the outer court you know you had to come through the blood of the lamb that the priest could not enter until he the blood of the lamb had been taken care of first so we enter in through the name of Jesus but we enter in through the blood and so when you pray there's an aspect to coming through the blood that you take time maybe you could take communion which is a powerful way to apply the blood but nonetheless you take time to get washed and covered in the blood and then what took the priest into the Holy of Holies? It was the incense and the blood. So the incense is praise and worship, prayer and intercession. If you will begin to come through the blood and you begin to praise and worship and pray and intercede in your own personal life, you will begin to move into the glory. Did y'all get that? Because that's a life-changing pattern right there. And that's the same pattern that God gave me for church services I felt God lead me not that everybody has to do this or whatever I'm just saying this what I felt that normally today we did it different because we were doing something special but almost every service we take time to get washed and covered in the blood because we take communion together and that gives us an opportunity to forgive people and to confess and repent of any sin we need to but to really get under the blood and we come through the blood then after we come through the blood what do we do praise and worship and prayer and intercession that's the incense right there and what happens you begin to move into the glory so God showed me the tabernacle pattern of coming through the blood and the incense to get into the glory and that's why the glory can come that's how the glory can come into your personal life that's how the glory can come into your home and that's how the glory can come into your church (coughs) that's what dick rubin was talking about he said when the patterns right the glory will fall so it's a pattern And the last couple things is the historic revivals I wanted to talk about. A Y'all follow me tonight? There's certain sermons you preach that the devil doesn't like. So if people will follow that Isaiah 58 pattern in your personal life. You'll live in revival. But sadly, i found that a lot of people don't want to do that. But there's always a remnant that will. The morning and evening sacrifice, the being unified, having prayer together, this tabernacle pattern. If people will be hungry for God and go after God with all their heart, you can have revival in your personal life. And churches can have revival. So the last couple patterns is this. number. The last two. The first one I want to deal with is the witness of historic revivals. William Seymour that ended up pastoring at Azusa Street. William Seymour was a black man during the days of the Jim Crow laws. And he was somebody that was mightily used by God to see a great revival that swept the entire world and the way that this revival started was that william seymour was desperately hungry for more of god there's got to be a hunger for more and he began to pursue pentecost he wanted a pentecostal experience he wanted to experience acts chapter 2 for himself where he was baptized in the holy spirit he spoke in tongues he wanted it and he knew that in topeka kansas charles parham that they had seen that there was a lady named Agnes Osmond I believe that saw that and revival began to break out there with a the Pentecostal people baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and William Seymour heard about it and he was desperately hungry for God so he began to go parham was teaching in Houston he was willing because it, back then he was a black man with the Jim Crow laws he was willing to sit in the hallway and listen outside because he couldn't go in to hear the sermons that's how humble and hungry he was he ended up going to california and while he was there he took a church for a time but he began to preach on the baptism in the holy ghost and speaking in tongues he opens up his bible starts reading acts chapter 2 well how many knows that not everybody likes the whole bible And so the people there just didn't want to hear it, so they ran him off. Well, sometimes rejection will put you right where God wants you. And he ended up at Bonnie Bray Street in a house. And there was a group of people there, and they, as he began to talk to them, he was preaching to them, Acts chapter 2, and they began to be hungry for revival. And William Seymour was so desperately hungry for revival the baptism and the holy ghost in his life and to see a move of god that he was praying like five six seven hours a day in that house he was just desperate crying out to god and the people that were there in this house they also were praying well revival broke out and the holy spirit fell there on bonnie brace street They were baptized in the Holy Ghost and God began to really move mightily there in that house. The move of God was so powerful. That people began to gather at that house and they outgrew it. So William Seymour goes and has to rent this old mission. And it it wasn't very big but it was used as a stable so it was dirty. They really had to clean it up. And after they got done fixing it up people were coming but let me tell you what was going on at Azusa Street the Holy Spirit was moving so powerful there because of the prayer and the fasting and the hunger of the people and the fact they were repenting they were doing what I've been teaching on they were humbling themselves they were praying they were fasting they were seeking the face of God they were repenting of their sin the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully there that the people that were there said that when they would come in william seymour lived there he lived upstairs but when they would come in they said the glory of god was on the floor like a cloud like a you know those smoke machines and they would begin to praise and worship in tongues and that the glory would come up off the floor to where there was like a mist like a cloud of god's glory in that place there were multiple times that the fire department was called to Azusa Street because there was a literal fire that was on the building. And people drove by or walked by or whatever, saw the fire, they called the fire department. The fire department comes out and there they see something but it's not a real literal fire, it's a spiritual flame. That happened multiple times. And because the fire of God was there and the glory was so strong in that atmosphere, all kinds of major healings and miracles happen. One man said that there was a, uh, an individual that came that had no arm and they were praying for him and they watched as an entire arm grew, grew out completely, all the way out, fingers grew out, fingernails grew out right in front of them. Major miracles. People that were deathly sick, there, there were the blind that saw, there were the deaf that, that spoke. There was a man that came in that was blind and he came in drunk to the revival and a young man went up to him and prayed for him and his eyes popped open he just saw right there and he began to weep and that young man ended up being a great preacher later on in life but what happened the witness of historic revivals was when people got desperately hungry for more that's the pattern number one if you're satisfied with where you are that's where you're going to be the rest of your life Something's got to happen where somebody gets desperate for God to move. Also what I learned at Cambridge with James McGready. he was a powerful preacher, man. He preached the truth, he preached repentance, people hated him because of it, burned down his church. He shows up to his church that's in ash, a heap of ashes. He stands on the ashes. Opens his Bible and preaches another fiery sermon That's the type of guy he was he was not going to be intimidated Basically what they were saying was shut up and get out of town So he stood on the ashes and preached all over again But God did lead him to move on and he ended up in Kentucky But this was a new area In our nation at this time there was it was not you know, there was still a lot of, um, it was dangerous. Okay, there was a lot going on. But it was a new area that people were moving into. And James McGready went out there and he built a church. But just like he had always done, he's preaching fiery messages of repentance. And the people that were coming are getting saved. And so they started getting hungry and on fire. So James McGready says, look, let's get all the other churches to come together and let's pray and let's fast. Now, let's ask God to show up, and let's take communion together, and let's just see what happens. Well, the Holy Spirit fell in 1799, so powerful. Um, people were falling out under the power, and James McGready said, man, we need to do this again. And people went back. Hundreds of people came, but they went back, and they were talking about it. How many knows if you've ever really been touched in revival, and then you go and you talk about it to other people, they feel it. They feel the anointing coming off you. And I'm sure that's what happened. Because the next year, they said, well, let's gather all the other churches together. Let's pray and let's fast. Let's ask God to move and let's take communion together and see what God does. Well, this time it went from just being um, hundreds of people now to thousands. And the Holy Spirit fell hard. And people were collapsing under the power and some of the stories at Cain was the Holy Spirit's presence was so intense that sometimes people would get scared and would try to run out but they would just end up collapsing under the power because they couldn't get out of there they said the Holy Spirit's presence was so strong that sometimes people's heads would shake so violently so fast that you couldn't even make out their facial features it's something that you couldn't do and the most common manifestation was the Holy Spirit would fall so hard that people would just collapse under the power and this one lady who was a Baptist had a couple daughters with her and one of her daughters just collapsed under the power and she was worried about her because she was she was out under the power for so long and she was down there kind of fanning her and the daughter every once in a while would come to and she would kind of come out of that and she would be saying Jesus forgive me forgive me for my sin I repent I repent and she would go back out again she was having an encounter with Jesus after she came up out of that she stood up she began to preach this little girl and the people that heard her just collapsed under the power and the same thing happened to them that had just happened to her and so that was common at Cambridge it was just God came down and what's crazy about Cambridge is it was a Presbyterian revival how far we've gotten away from things you know my dad was telling me that his grandmother was a Methodist and back then the Methodists were Pentecostal but a man by the name of Barton Stone came out that year in 1800 and he saw all these people being struck down to the ground he saw people repenting of their sin He saw people by the thousands getting right with Jesus. He saw people witnessing to others. And it was so radical what was going on. He concluded, he went through and wrote down all the different things he saw. He said, there's no way this is the devil. Because the devil would never lead people to preach the gospel, repent of their sins, get saved, and then help other people do the same thing. So he knew this was the Holy Spirit moving and so he goes back now to Cane Ridge area. This is where my wife and I were touch real powerful. And he was the pastor of a little Presbyterian church there in Cane Ridge. It wasn't a big church. It was basically like a log cabin. And he started telling the people about what he experienced. Well, the people there began to really get hungry for God to move. And so Barton Stone said, we need to do the same thing that James McGready's doing. He said, why don't we ask all the other churches to come? We're gonna pray, we're gonna fast, we're gonna agree together, we'll take communion and we're gonna believe God to come down. (laughs) Well, people by the thousands went back and started talking about their revival experience they have. Barton Stone's church could probably only hold maybe 75 people or 100, I don't know, it wasn't big. So he goes outside and builds something that could maybe handle a couple hundred people. There was around twenty-five to 30,000 people that descended on Cambridge in 1801. He was totally, completely unprepared. He had no idea that was going to happen. What do you do? But the presence of God was so strong. God came down so heavy that people by the thousands now. it went from the hundreds to, you know, a couple thousand. Now it went to 25, 30,000. People by the hundreds at a time would be struck down under the power of God. And Barton Stone watched as the body of Christ came together, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians came together. And they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were watching people by the thousands upon thousands get saved and repent, get right with God. They were getting hit by the power of God. And they were taking revival back with them when they went home. And that was the great Cambridge Ridge revival that broke out. And what God showed me through that was the power of prayer and fasting, the power of the communion table. And how the body of Christ came together and unified. let me close with this this is this is one of the few sermons that I've preached that I have felt like this much resistance normally it's just really easy to preach here but the devil doesn't want you to get this I'm just telling you there's like something in the spirit realm that's trying to block you I can feel it and so Lord I just pray today as we get into this that this is going to penetrate any type of blockage or any type of hindrance and this is still going to get into people by the anointing of the Holy Ghost but let me recap and close with this Isaiah 58 I can preach it but it won't do you a bit of good unless you live it you can live out of here and be as dead and dry next week as you've ever been in your life or you can have a great Holy Ghost revive on your life Isaiah 58 if you'll humble yourself pray fast give and consecrate your life if you'll live that as a lifestyle you're going to start living in the river If you'll start praying before you go to bed at night and praying in the morning that you'll end your day and begin your day in prayer, you're going to start living in revival. If you'll begin to vicariously repent on behalf of your family and your nation, not only will you have revival, but God can send revival to your family and your nation. If we will come together and corporately pray, we will really truly unify together. Then we can see a move of god the tabernacle pattern if you will come through the blood the incense of worship and prayer you can go into the glory of god and if you'll get desperately hungry desperately hungry like william seymour de like james mcgreedy at the great canards revival if you'll get desperately hungry for more of god Jesus said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, they will be filled. There's got to be a hunger. Some people, you know, they're bored with God, they're bored with church. I mean, you know, when you really get saved, Jesus is enough. But the thing is, there's got to be this desperate hunger to get from where you are to get closer to God, that you're going to press into Him. Draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. So Lord, I thank you for this sermon tonight. I thank you for the power of your word and the power of patterns. And Lord, I pray that your people will really get a hold of this and apply it in their life. Lord, I pray that you'll penetrate whatever resistance has been there. Whatever's trying to hinder this, Lord, let this still get where it needs to go. Accomplish what it needs to do by the anointing, by the power of your spirit. Let your mighty angels roll back any tides of darkness. But Lord, let this get where it needs to go. We bind up anything of the devil that's trying to hinder it. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. We're going to pray for those that want prayer tonight and believe God to mightily touch you.